0: Oh, it is, I am so happy to be with you on this wonderful day when we, together, are praying God's blessing on this new season of ministry marked by the call of the Reverend Birdie Pearson to serve as your rector. Yay? Yay? Yay. Now, before we begin, a, a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors among us, if If we've not met before, I'm Mary Ann Buddy. I serve as the Bishop of the Diocese of Washington, which actually comprises 86 congregations in Washington and four Maryland counties. So for that reason, you're not gonna see me around here much on Sundays, Um, but I know and love this congregation deeply and should you be in search of a spiritual community, I warmly commend St. Albans to you and and we're all so glad you're here. Special word of thanks. Uh, deep thanks to the lay leadership body of St. Albans the vestry for bringing Bertie and his family to us and thank you Bertie and Rahel for accepting our invitation. So I've been your bishop for 12 years and St. Albans has been through a lot. <laughs> Both challenging and, um, and sometimes wonderful. I I want you to know that I am praying for you in this new season, and I have every confidence that it was going to be—it is and will be—one of joy, of laughter, and many opportunities for you to grow in your love of God and one another, and to grow in your desire to follow Jesus and His way of love in this world. And a new beginning like this, in any realm of life, but speaking particularly about this new beginning, it always carries with it an invitation for us to see ourselves and what we're about in this world with with fresh eyes. It's certainly true for Bertie. He's seeing everything about you in Life of St. Albans for the first time. But in some ways, you've all been given new eyes. You've been given eyes of your heart. As you watch him as your new spiritual leader, watching you and seeing yourselves through his eyes. And I can't stress enough the importance, the spiritual importance of a time like this, this beginning time. There is no, it's unlike any other in the life of Christian community. Now obviously, like people going out on a first date, you're all on your best behavior, which is, which is nice, right? But I dare say you're you're also open and attentive. And so I wonder, what are you seeing now that perhaps you hadn't seen as clearly before or you haven't seen for a long time? And what hope is emerging among you? And and if any, what what fears? It's important to name those two. And for some of you, there's there's bound to be a bit of grief. Um, Strong memories from the past. We heard an echo of that in the reading from Deuteronomy this morning, didn't we? You know, the passing of baton from one leader to the next, it brings, it brings up a lot. Um, and for others, I dare say, there's a bit of relief and welcome rest from the work of transition. And for still others, I dare say, I'm praying for all of you, that this is a time of dreaming. Dreaming of, of what could be and what God might be making possible among you. I've heard from so many of you, and certainly witnessed on the day we gathered to offer prayers for the Pearsons in their newly refurbished and beautiful rectory, what I heard and saw was joy. And so again, that is my prayer for you, that that joy can grow deep and wide within and among you, and that it may radiate out from this community and touch the lives of so many. A new season like this is also a time when we can't help, we simply can't help but call to mind the most important things. Who we are, what we value, why we do what we do. And so in that spirit, let's focus on what Jesus himself said, was the most important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Hang everything. It's all about love. And throughout all of his life and teachings, he was most clear, Jesus was most clear when he spoke about love as the most important thing. Love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. And as the Pharisees found out, um, it's hard to argue with Jesus on this point, point. And, and who would want to, right? But where does our capacity to love come from, you know? How do we become the kind of people who can love God with heart, soul, and mind, and neighbor as ourselves? How does that, how does that happen? One answer is pretty straightforward. We learn to love by being loved. It's the experience of love that awakens in us that desire and eventually that capacity to love in return. And conversely, then, to the extent that we've not been loved well in life or consciously experienced the love of God, we struggle and are handicapped in some real ways in our capacity to love God, others, and self. And, and sometimes that handicap is severe. Um, our criminal justice system is full of people trapped in generational patterns of violence that can be traced back to a lack of love, familial and societal. And we, we all have that within us too. So part of learning to love is healing and healing from wounds enough so that we can take those wounds and be uh, transformed through them into greater love. I'll say more about that in a moment. But there are other ways that we come to love. Um, we don't, it's not just from being on the receiving end of it. I mean, there are, you know, you know them, there are remarkable human beings among us who have endured all manner of hardship and suffering at the hands of others and yet are still loving people. There must be other ways that love is born in us. It it seems to rise up in us naturally in response to some some life-altering circumstances such as giving birth to a child or meeting someone with whom you feel that instant connection or when we see and experience beauty or suffering. There are these times when mysteriously it seems Love overtakes us. So we can say that our ability to love God, neighbor, and self is the natural result of being loved, and it can be a mystery, a gift that comes without prerequisite experience. And there's more, of course. With love, there's always more. We know and learn throughout life that while feelings of love are, are, are important and it's hard to love without feeling love, but love is more than a feeling. It's also an intention, isn't it? A choice, a commitment to we make whether we feel loving or not. Genuine love, we know, is without condition. It's not dependent upon receiving something in return for our love. And Jesus makes that, t- that point over and over again in his stories about love, the father's love for his two sons, the wayward and self-absorbed one, the rule-abiding and resentful one. He, he loved them both. Or of the foreigner of the despised race who was the only one to stop by the wounded man on the roadside. Love Love transcends all boundaries and expectations. And as the Apostle Paul's word on love reminds us that love has specific qualities. It is patient, it is kind, and it's not arrogant or boastful or rude. and doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth and it believes all things, and it endures all things, and it hopes all things. Mm -hmm. Love, love never ends. Which begs another question, doesn't it? How do we love like that? How do we grow in love for others, for ourselves, for God? Again, pretty straightforward, one, one answer. We grow in our capacity to love as we continue to receive love, um, like a plant that grows in response to the ongoing warmth of the sun and nutrients from soil and water. We grow in love as others love us, even when we don't deserve their love. Now, speaking personally, those are the most growth-inducing memories for me. When someone loved me still, even so, despite, they were liberating and life-changing moments, and they awakened in me the desire to be the kind of person who could love like that. I wasn't that person yet, but I wanted to be that person. So we also grow in love through inspiration. We witness other people's love, and we want to emulate them. I know that's true for me. It's one of the more compelling reasons to be part of a congregation of faith, by the way, because we, congregations are committed to being people growing in love. And we see it. We see love in action. We see people who blow us away with their faithfulness and love. And we want to emulate them. And here, as in all our relationships, we're also given opportunities to practice love. And as with most things, through practice we get better at it. Which also means, by definition, we fail sometimes. Everywhere. Here, in life, in family, we fail. Which brings me In closing now, I think the greatest mystery of all, when it comes to how we grow in love, certainly the most poignant and tender way God invites us, into greater love. And these are the times when we come up against our limits. We don't love, we don't love God, we don't love another person, we don't love ourselves, and we don't care and we don't want to love or we want to love but it seems so far away that we can't even access it or we have failed or someone has failed us and we're at the end of whatever proverbial rope we're hanging from. And sometimes it seems like that's the end of the story and something's forever lost. But in the economy of grace, in the mystery of love that is God, sometimes something else happens. And it's as if in that experience we're being stretched open, maybe even a part of us broken open. And in that stretching and breaking rises a capacity to love in ways that we've never loved before. I, um, I actually saw a beautiful example of this the other night. Um, a television show. Um, there's one show that I go to, and I've been going to it a lot recently, when I just need to be reminded of what it looks like to love, you know? When I just need to escape into a world of love that you probably have heard of it. It's the BBC series called The Midwife. You know that show? Yeah. Love that show. So, some of you know it. For those of you who don't, it tells a story of this small working-class community in Britain in which a group of nuns and some nurses and one tireless doctor are providing medical care um, and especially medical care for women giving birth in this little, little community. Um, and this is set in the 1960s, late 50s, 1960s. And this episode I was watching the other night from series, I mean, the year 11, I think, of the series. Um, an older couple with two teenage girls gives birth to a boy, and immediately they know something's wrong. The diagnosis is Down syndrome. And back in the day, Down syndrome was a source of great embarrassment and shame for families. And um, the father was of a generation that could only remember such children being sent away, never to be acknowledged or seen again. And in his grief and his anger, he simply refuses to engage his child or his wife, whose response to the child is completely different of love and acceptance, but he can't go there with, him, with her. He just can't go there. And as you may know if you watch the show, the, one of the minor characters is a young man named Reggie, living quite happily with Down syndrome with his adopted uncle and aunt who has raised him ever since his mother died. And in one scene, Reggie's uncle tells this new father how much it is meant to him to raise, to raise Reggie as his son. Um, and the father asks, yeah. how? And, and he replies, I've, I've learned to love so much more. And the father just breaks down sobbing and he asks, does it always hurt this much? Reg's uncle is quiet for a moment and then he says, because he's an honest man, sometimes, Sometimes, but not always, not always. In that moment, you could see a heart that had been transformed by love into greater love, through pain, through struggle, but crossing over that chasm into a place that he would never trade for the world. And his wife later tells the mother I can tell you this in a way that perhaps no one else will understand or be able to say to you, you are one lucky mother. <clears throat> to grow in love like that, to accept disappointment and pain and heartache and yet to persevere, oh yeah, sometimes that's really hard. But it isn't always and it's not even what we remember as we go through it, because as we open ourselves and God stretches us and comes to us in that stretched and broken places, we experience love that flows through us and defies human understanding. As the Apostle Paul says again in a, another letter, we, we have this experience, this treasure in our human vessels, right? These clay jars to make it really clear that this power, this love, it belongs to God. It doesn't come from us, but it is the most amazing experience of all as it flows through us. Friends, love is the most important thing. And churches like St. Albans exist to help us all grow in our capacity to love as God loves, as Jesus came to show us and shows it still. It's why you're here and in this new season of ministry in which you see with fresh eyes, may you see yourselves the way Bertie sees you, with love and with joy. And may you be inspired to love through everything that happens, both the joyful and the hard, when your hearts are stretched. Jesus would be the first to tell you it hurts sometimes, but not always and not forever. And the greatest of these things, the greatest of all things, is, Amen.